Now, most of us know that the book of Revelation is a book filled with symbols, pictures, and all these pictures speak of something. We have the horseman, we have a, a lamb, we have a lion, we have bowls of wrath, and I don't think uh, any, any theologian, any serious Bible reader actually thinks it's an actual horse, but that horse means something. And in Revelation chapter 17 and 18, you have a very graphic picture. It is the fall of the great whore of Babylon. That's quite a picture. The great whore of Babylon. You know, you know Babylon was a physical city. doesn't exist anymore in what is modern-day Iraq. But Babylon in the Bible is mentioned 290 times. 150 of those times are in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, so Babylon speaks of a place of captivity where God's people, for various reasons, are held captive. Uh, Babylon is a place of compromise and persecution. You remember Daniel and his friends, uh, how they were seduced to bow before the image and they wouldn't do it, or they were seduced to leave their devotion and they were persecuted, thrown in the fiery furnace, thrown in the lion's den. So that's one of the meanings of Babylon in Scripture and for us today. Now, the Babylon of the book of Revelation, uh, it, it is a place where this being or this, this something called the great whore lives. And, uh, uh, you know, you can look at different interpretations throughout history. And because the book of Revelation is full of symbols, you know, almost anybody can come up with their own interpretation. I don't like to do that. I like to follow what was the intention of the prophesier, John of Pathmas. And so you can see in the, in the early centuries of the Christian church, they taught that Babylon and this great harlot or this scarlet woman, it was a religious system that was connected with political power. And uh, they taught that about Rome and about the pagan religion in Rome. Later on, the last 600 years or so, when the Reformation came, then uh, many of the prophet teachers were, were preaching that uh, the Roman Catholic Church and uh, the European powers, political powers, they somehow uh, formed uh, this Babylon more lately. And I think this gives uh, uh, justice to the whole picture is, I think we all agree that what Babylon and the harlot describe is a religious system. It's a religious system, uh, and, and it has some political power. Now, the whore, you know what is a whore? That's an old English word for prostitute. A prostitute is someone who sells sexual favors in exchange for money. And so this is not speaking about a whore of that nature, a prostitute of that nature. This is spiritual, religious prostitution where peddlers of religion of whatever kind are selling blessings, favors, divine favors in exchange for an appropriate amount of rituals, sacrifices, and offerings. This whore, this prostitute is called great. What's so great about it? Well, I suppose one of the things would be it's worldwide. It says in Revelation 17, 15, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. 
So it's a conglomeration of religion with some political attachment. It's a, you could say, a worldwide system that rejects the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and enslaves its followers. This is a religious system that puts its followers because the emphasis, if you were to read it, and if we were to dissect these chapters, is about trading and merchandise and, and buying and selling. In other words, the whole business, the whole dirty business of religion, trading blessings from God in exchange for you putting forth a sufficient effort, a never-ending treadmill of doing more to a please, a supposedly displeased God so that you will attain to some place of blessing. That's what Babylon represents. That's what this harlot represents. But the prophetic call comes in Revelation 18.4 where the angel of the Lord says, come out of her, my people. Come out. Come out of the systemic religion of the world and the call is very urgent. Come out quickly. The call is to, God says to my people, who obviously got caught in the Babylonic system, but I would extend it to all people. Come out of that. Because the fall is imminent. It's like a funeral description in Revelation 17, 8, where this whole system of religion collapses. The business is coming to an end. And the angel says, hurry, come out of this system. Leave, and I would say to us today, leave the religion of wood, hay, and stubble and go for the gold, silver, and precious stones which only God can create. Amen. And this is our destiny. We are saying to this church and Toronto Celebration Church and World Impact Ministries, our message is to all people, come out of your religious bondage. Come out of Babylon and come to Jesus Christ. Because the contrast of this is found when Jesus invites, come to me, come to me. He says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to, all, to me all you who are weary and burdened. You're burdened by all the demands of Babylon. Come and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle. I'm not a hard-hitting taskmaster like the taskmasters of the religious systems. I'm lowly in heart. I am not like the men of God who want to be lifted up on a pedestal to be praised by men. I'm not that kind. I'm lowly. And you will find rest. Religion has stressed you out so much. You never thought you were good enough. Come to me and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Yeah, there is a connectedness. There's a yoke, but it's not that heavy, oppressive yoke of religion. Jesus is contrasting himself with all the systems of the world. He's saying, my way is not more creeds and rituals and prayers and ceremonies. My way is not for you to be on a treadmill to nowhere, trying to please God and never getting there. Come to me. I want us to examine what Jesus didn't say. What he didn't say. He didn't say, come to church. He didn't say come to church. 
Or he said, in another place, I'll build my church. He didn't say, come to church. Come just to the right denomination. Come to the denomination that has everything together, that has all the answers. Come to that one building in town where I only live there. And that's come from the founding pastor of this church. But he didn't say, come to church. That's where, what we say a lot today. We say, come to church. Our church has a great program. You should check out our children's ministry. Oh, check out, you know, we, we had a great time. Oh, people are so friendly. Jesus didn't say, if you are tired, come to a friendly church with good coffee and soft, cushiony seats. He said, come to me. Come to me. Salvation is not coming to church, but it's coming to Christ. Now, now we know the scriptures. Of course, assemble yourself together. We believe in church. In fact, I believe very much in the local church. I believe Jesus in his, is in his local church. He's here today. And I say like this about church. Church, gathering with other believers, is as natural as eating for those who have come to Christ. Once you've come to Christ, to not come together with others, to also come to Christ, you will have a void. You will feel empty. You'll skip a Sunday or two. You'll say something is missing. I, I need to be there. It's just like you, 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 it's, it's natural for you to go and open the refrigerator door from time to time. You say, I wonder what's in there. It's natural. Nobody has to prompt for you or pray for you to do it. And so once we have come to Christ, once church is those who have come to Christ, it's natural. Everything flows together. Jesus also didn't say, come to the correct dogma. Come to the correct confession of faith. Come to the right creed. He didn't say that. Because the invitation is relational rather than academic. And I say this, you know it's possible to preach you must be born again and not be born again. It's possible to go to a church where they talk about, oh, you know, it's all about a personal relationship with Jesus. We can talk about that till the cows come home without even having a personal relationship. You can be a pastor preaching about it. He didn't say, come to a dogma. He says, come to me. Come to me. He didn't say, come to, just if you're tired and heavy burdened, just say these words after me. Just say, God, I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus came and I receive him now. I repent of all my sins. Amen. Good. Everything done. He didn't say that. He didn't say, if you're a heavy burden, just say these words after me and call the number on your screen. Neither did anybody else in the Bible. And yet we pray a prayer. We, we pray something along that line, not quite that, but something along that line, and we do it gladly. I'll probably do it today. But we must never reduce this into a recitation of a prayer formula. As long as you said the right words, boom, it's done. 
Now, we like to say those words after we have presented Jesus Christ, after his gospel has preached, after the human heart has been touched, you've been stirred, like happened here last weekend, and like happens pretty well every Sunday. After you have heard this message, we say, then it's a natural thing to say, yes, would you like to receive that? Then we'll pray together. But it's not some fix, and we don't reduce salvation to a recitation of a 60-second prayer. Now, you are saved now. Salvation comes to your house, but you grow in your salvation every day. You grow in Christ, and it becomes bigger and greater to you with every passing moment. He didn't say, if you're tired, come to your favorite pastor or your favorite priest or your favorite man of God. He says, come to me. Come to me. Accept deliverance from the seductive trapping of every religious system. Leave the other secondary issues behind. And I want to declare that certainly is the vision for this church. That this church is a place. We are here because we came to him. And once we came to him, this is the place to be. We're not here because we believe we, we belong to a certain political party. We are not here with a political agenda. All of us probably vote and we should vote for a political party. But when we are coming here, we have something higher than politics going on. This is something more important than politics. We are here gathered around the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are a socialist, you're a conservative, you're a liberal, we leave that at the door as something of lesser importance. You can come here and grow in him. We leave our social status, our educational degrees, or lack thereof. We leave them because that's of lesser importance. And we say, anyone, the whole world, you are welcome to come. We extend the invitation to our friends in the trans community who have had a change of gender by medical Surgery, treatment, you can come. LGBTQ plus 2S, I can't remember it all, but I mean to remember it. You can come. Hypocrites, you can come. Pharisees, you can come. Really goody, goody, goodies, Pharisees, you can come. And we leave all of our agendas. If you have an anti-trans trans agenda, leave it. If you have a pro-trans agenda, leave it. If you have an anti-LGBTQ agenda, leave it. If you have a pro-LGBTQ agenda, leave it. If you have a pro-Phariseeism agenda, leave it. If you are anti-Pharisees and hypocrites, you leave it. Because here we are for Jesus. And here you can lift your hand. If you have had a sex change... You can come here and lift your hand and say, Jesus, help me. And nobody will look down their nose at you or think that you shouldn't be worshiping God. My friend, we are the church of Jesus Christ of those who have come to him. We don't have another agenda. We have a Jesus agenda. He made us brothers and sisters. And who am I to judge?
Years ago, when I was pastoring in St. Catharines, one morning several members approached me and they said, did you see, Pastor Peter, you're on the front page of the newspaper? I said, I am. I don't read it. He said, bring it to me. <laughs> so there I was on the front page, but it wasn't really about me. It was about a pedophile. Some person, who I didn't know who it was. He had been in court. He was moving to the city where we were. He had been spending years in, in jail, being a pedophile, convicted. He was sick. And he said to the judge, I, I want to move to such and such a town because I want to go and hear Pastor Peter Youngrim preach every Sunday. I didn't know who the man was. So they said to me, Pastor, do you know that there's a pedophile who want to come and hear you and the judge doesn't know if, you, if you're okay? So you have to send a letter to the judge. And can you imagine how I was bombarded? With thoughts, or that wouldn't be, that would be bad. Oh, attendance would drop if people knew that. Or, oh, we should love everybody. Everybody had an opinion. But I'm a follower of Jesus. So I said, well, here's what we're going to do. I knew instantly. I didn't have to think. I said, we will just welcome this person and we'll tell our ushers so they know this person is coming. And if we send a letter to the judge, he is welcome to come to our services. He's not welcome to go to the children's department. He doesn't need to go downstairs where we have the children's area, but he can come and go to any public service. Does that mean I don't understand the pain the man had caused? Of course I do. I don't know what made him the way he is. And as far as any crime or sin, I know nothing worse than that crime that he had been convicted of. But I have to leave all that. And the man came. He came for about nine months, sat in the service, received Jesus, and then he died. He died. I don't, I don't, have, I don't have right to have any other agenda. Whatever I feel about the person, whatever, I don't have that right. The fall of the great whore of Babylon. Remember, this is symbolic. It's not literal. It says in Revelation 17, the woman was adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls full of abominations, drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So this religious system was rich. Probably not unlike what God said to that church in the book of Revelation. You think you're rich. Hey, you got a lot of, you got a lot of merchandise. Because, you know, systemic religion can make you rich. Christless religion can make you rich. You just keep pumping all these rules, what they have to do. But he said, she's full of abominations. You know the word abominations. We, we hardly know what that word means anymore. So let's get Jesus' take on it. How about that? Jesus said in Luke 16, he, he said to the religious leaders, you are those who justify yourself before men. But God knows your hearts, for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So these were the ones who were puffed up and talking about all their fasting and all their prayer and all they, they were doing. They were, oh, you know, they were justifying themselves. Well, I know, you know, that they were those kind of people. And that impresses people. You know, Babylon is very impressive. That kind of religion is very impressive. People say, oh, I got to listen to this person because he talks about how great he is. But Jesus says, you don't even know that's an abomination to God. And in the next verse, Jesus says, the law and the prophets were until John. 
This is the next verse. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. He says, John the Baptist was the last prophet of that tribal covenant that was just for Israel. That was end, that's the end of it. Now the Messiah has come. I have come. And now there's the kingdom of Jesus Christ and everybody, everybody say everybody. They press into it. They said this, this harlot is drunk with the, with the blood of the saints of Jesus Christ. It's an antichrist system because it, it makes it all about human performance, not about Christ. It says in Revelation 18, Babylon, that mighty city, speaking of what I'm talking about, this symbol, symbolism, in one hour your judgment has come and the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her for no one buys their merchandise anymore. It's the end. It's the end of the buying and selling and this spiritual prostitution. It says in verse 17, in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Verse 19, in one hour she's made desolate. This thing is coming down. <laughs> oh, I'm glad that we don't belong to that system. We are people of a different kingdom. Thank God that system, it's still here, but it's coming down. And then it says in the next verse, rejoice, holy apostles and prophets. Those who love God rejoice when they see the false, shady, superstitious religious system come crashing to the ground. What this is, is, is a Christ-centered victory over Christless religion. Christless religion is where we earn the blessing. So, so what is it? Let me, let me slice it up a bit more. Babylon is the place of separation from God's grace. It's the place where you're constantly working to please God, but never quite making it. The citizens of Babylon. Oh, I know there's no church called the first church of Babylon, but there's plenty of religion that is this Babylonic type. The citizens of Babylon, they are tired. They are heavy burdened. They are fighting enemies outside the walls. They're seeing demons everywhere that they, that they must tear down. And inside Babylon, they are oppressed by religious small people who feel only good when others lift them up. Oh, you're such a man of God. They need that. And more titles and archbishop, bishop, doctor, everlasting reverend. It just goes on and on and on. They need that. Gives them a license to oppress regular citizens of God's kingdom. You see, uh, the Babylon religion demands hard work. You got to produce a quota to keep your God happy. You have a quota of prayer and good works to, to get your God on your side. It's very much like the often quoted older brother in the story of Luke 15. He says, oh, Father, I've served you for many years. I've, I've obeyed every command and, and I got nothing. Haven't I fulfilled my quota? You see, the citizens of Babylon are deceived and held captive by the idea that if they work enough, fight enough, worship enough, then eventually, bless God, the enemy is going to be defeated and my blessing will come. They are duped into that. The citizens of, of Babylon are corrupted by guilt, forever feeling, oh, has God accepted me? Shame. 
I got to hide who I am. I, I hope the people in church don't know. Uh, how do I hope they don't know who I am and they're, they're corrupted by fear because, you know, the devil must know how bad I am so he's going to get me. That's the religion of Babylon. But Jesus says, come out of it and come to me. Oh, are you hearing the call today? The citizens of Babylon are spiritually blind. It makes them susceptible to all kinds of superstition. Anytime a man of God so-called comes along and says, well, I prayed and fasted for seven days. You know, God showed me what you got to do is this and you got to do is that. And they are so superstitiously inclined. They said, it doesn't matter if it's never mentioned in the book of Acts, never mentioned by Jesus. I said, oh, well, well, if you prayed for seven days, oh boy. Well, if God said that, well, oh, they're so superstitious. Mm. The apostle Paul helps us to understand this fake spirituality when he deals with the uh, Galatians because they had been seduced. They had to keep certain days and the Hebrew feast had to be kept and the circumcision had to be done and they had all these little extras added on. And Paul says, he, Galatians 4, 7, you are no longer a slave but a son. And if his son, then you are an heir of God through Christ. He says, wake up. You don't belong to the Babylon system. He says in chapter 5, verse 1, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't go for it. Don't fall for it. Stay free. Stay with Jesus. You know, Jesus came to turn the religion of Babylon on its head. Let me tell you a little story. You need a little break in this sermon. Some of you have hardly breathed as I've been preaching. You're saying, what is he saying? And I've allowed for the occasional hallelujah just to give you a little bit of a, uh, but, but let's have a little. And then I'm going to, we're going to go right through the top. You know, I was just in Africa a few weeks ago among the Turkana people. They had big meetings, thousands, tens of thousands come to the Lord. But I like to go and visit the villages. You have those pictures? Ima, put them up quickly there, quickly. Uh, there. No, no, no. The the pictures from the villages. The picture from the villages. Take that down, please. The picture. There we go. See that nice woman? That's her house. I bought a broom from her. I brought it for Tina. Go to the next picture. Uh, uh, Keep keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Next picture. Next picture. Here I am having a good time, sharing, talking to people. Next picture. Much quicker, guys. Here I am. Keep going. Keep going. You can see I'm enjoying myself. Here I'm having, look at that, isn't that? They loved, go back to that, go back to that. They loved how I could sit on that chair because they said most foreigners, they tip over. I I hit it right away. And I'm teaching that. I'm in the, go to the next picture. Get to the next picture. Look at, look at, it's so funny, you know. They have all these plastic chairs, but nobody wants to sit in them because they rather sit. But anyhow, it's a status symbol. Uh, Lovely people, keep going, keep going. And, and, and there I'm just introducing a pastor to them. Okay, let's keep going now. Uh, and there I'm in their house. I'm just checking out. It's the nicest house I found. Go to the next one. Get to the next one. Next one. Praying for somebody. Next picture. And here, here's from our festival. Okay, give, give Jesus a big hand. Well, uh, let me tell you why. I'm showing that. Because these are people called Turkana, but they're just like people all over the world. And I want to show you something that nobody's ever shown you because I created this sketch myself. So I'm going to have to improve on it as I go. Show sketch number one. Show that. The essence of animistic religion. Animism means these 
that people worship things. They believe that deities or spirits live in trees or rocks or whatever, you know. But you know what they believe, the Turkana people? They all believe that God is good. Doesn't sound much different, does it? They believe God is good. They call God a cooch. But they believe there's a spirit world where Satan is. And this spirit world, mostly bad spirits, some good ones, but mostly bad, that they can't get through to God. So they have intercessors in their old religion that's been for thousands of years. They have diviners and prophets and preachers. And the intercessors are supposed to find out how can we, how can we not get through to God? And then the intercessors tell them what sacrifices they should make and the diviners give some teachings and they have traditions that they have to follow. And there is the worship. That's how they are. They're trying to get to God. Trying to get to God. That's religion. Show sketch number two. This is many Christians in churches. The sketch hasn't changed very much. I've added a picture of a cross on the left. You see an empty tomb. Not that many people think it means much, but you know, we put it there because that's what we talk about. But do you see that many churches in Toronto and Canada are no different than the animist worshipers? They still believe God is good. Now we just added Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we have a little bit more clarity who God is. And here is the worshiper. And we have intercessors and prophets and preachers, men of God. And then we have sacrifices, teachings, and rituals. But you see here how the spirit world still blocks us. There's the occasional opening, no different than the animus religion. There's the occasional breakthrough to God. You see where that yellow little opening is there? Satan is big as ever. And it struck me when I was there in the village. This is just like many Pentecostals in Toronto believe. We just add Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and, but we still have the same struggle. Same damn religion. Yeah, I said damn, in case you missed it. <laughs> the same cursed religion. We just added Jesus, you know, and he doesn't mean, I mean, Jesus, he went on the cross and we have Easter and the rest of it, you know, but it doesn't really change anything. We, we still got to break through. We, we still got to do it. Go to the next sketch. I call this Christ-filled Christianity. You have God is good. He's still good. He's good all the time. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you have the worshiper all within the same circle. Do you see that? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is our intercessor. He intercedes before the Father. Prophets, preachers, like Pastor Nathan and myself, we are messengers of the new order. We proclaim Christ is king. The old order is gone. No more sacrifices needed. One sacrifice is enough. And we teach people to discover Christ and where is the devil? He's on his head and the demons and the death and hell are outside. They're there. We're not saying that there's no demons but they're not in our realm. They're out there and don't pop inside my frame because I'm going to drive you out in the name of Jesus. That's what I mean. I tell Turkana people who are animist. And I tell Pentecostals, get out of Babylon. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. <laughs> you see, the Savior defeated Babylon. Oh, I'm getting excited now. A Savior was needed to save Babylon. Somebody had to defeat the bondage and the hypocrisy. And he did it single-handedly without an army. The citizens of Babylon never rose to help Jesus. 
He did it on his own. He laid down his own life on the battlefield. And the religion of Babylon, which is all the religions of the world, you know what they did? They had their way with Jesus. They wanted to pour wrath and violence on Jesus and they poured it on. They beat him. They wounded him. They poured their hatred against his grace. They say, away with him. We don't want this God. Give us our old God. Give us the God that's vengeful. Give us the God that punishes people. Don't give us this God full of mercy. Crucify him. Put him away. And they pour their violence on him. And the result is astounding. Colossians 2. He has made us alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Jesus won by appearing to lose. He appeared to lose. But by appearing to lose, and here's the astounding truth that no matter how many Easter services we have gone to, many have never caught on. He rendered Babylon and all its evil powerless. Away with it, it's done. Think about the three words here. Forgiven you all trespasses. Forgiven you all trust. That's what Babylon hangs over your head. Well, you know, you have all these sins. Look at everything you've done. What if people knew that? Well, what, what, you know, what about that? What about that? You think that? You think that's going to just be wiped away like that? He dealt a death blow. He forgave all of our trespasses. Secondly, he wiped out the handwriting of requirements. All the religious requirements. Oh, you didn't keep this tradition. You didn't keep this rule. You didn't do that. And it was just... It was just held against you. It was like, can't you read? What are you, stupid? Can't you see what you should have done? He took it and he says he nailed it to the cross. And number three, he disarmed principalities and powers. That's another one of Babylon's tactics. Well, the devil is going to get you. If you don't do what this man of God says, the devil is going to get you. He's going to eat your breakfast. No, once and for all, Jesus dealt with that Babylonic idea and he disarmed principalities and powers. And now Christ enlists the former citizens of Babylon, that's all of us, to announce to all Babylons of the world that the war is over. We are, that's what, that's what, do we have a mission? Do we have a reason to come together? We are former members of the church of Babylon, of the religion of Babylon. We have come out and we say, Jesus Christ is the captain of our salvation. No denomination is our captain. Jesus is. We have a clear message to the world. Uh, Give up your tired life. Aren't you tired of religion? Give up the endless requirement. Give up the false superstitious promises that one day, if you're only good enough, and if you pray enough, and if you do enough, and if you mow the pastor's lawn enough, and wash his car enough, and serve him enough, and if you do enough, then, 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 then God's going to come through for you. Give up your superstition. Accept your victory. 
accept your acceptance. Accept that the battle is over. Christ has won. I feel like sometimes like the Anglican vicar, Robert Capone. And I have a little quote from him. He says, I suddenly find I am tired. Tired as St. Paul was of having to come to you hat in hand and explain for the thousandth time that the jailhouse door is really open. I feel like Robert Capone. I mean, how many times do I have to preach this? How many times that Pastor Nathan have to preach this? How many times do I have to stand here and say, Jesus opened the jailhouse door? And I walk out after the church in the parking lot and someone says, I'm in a prison. Pray for me. Have I said it a thousand times? I may have to go for 2,000. But like Paul and this Anglican vicar, I said, I'm getting tired to stand here endlessly proclaiming in the face of all Pentecostalism and charismatic religion and, 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 and so-called fake ideas that the prison door is open that prison door you think you are behind, it's an illusion, it's a deception, it's a spiritual blindness because he who set you free has set you free indeed. So walk out of the prison, follow him, rest in him, reject slavery, come out of any system, come out of any system that doesn't realize Jesus' full victory. Come out of any system that puts you on a grading scale. You're kind of being graded. Uh, you're kind of average. Uh, falling a little bit below. Some of the other members are doing better. <laughs> come out of it. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're coming out of it. I've had it with it. You know, come out of any system of futile self-salvation. Where it's all about trying to harder to work for God. You know, I saw a survey here in America. The majority of people who go to church, an evangelical church like us, they think that the essence of Christianity is to try harder to serve God. That's what the majority think. What does Christianity mean to you? It means I'm trying harder. I need to try hard. That's actually what they believe. Do we have a mission, folks? Now, when I talk so much about self-improvement, people say, don't you believe in self-improvement, Pastor Peter? Is self-improvement wrong? I even put it on the screen for you. I say, certainly not. I am one of the biggest advocates of self-improvement. I try to improve myself every day. Oh yeah, I put makeup on my face uh, before I get filmed for television to cover most of the wrinkles. Yeah, I just do whatever I can. I tell, I tell them, and they can put some good lights on me. I don't want bags under my eyes. Oh, do I believe in self-improvement? Megan knows how, how ordinary I am about this here. Uh, I even asked Tanya the other day, are you using all the makeup you can? And she began to lecture me. I did makeup moments before you were born. Well, that wasn't quite, but you know, she did a long time ago. I, I just want to make sure. I, I read books on economy. I study philosophy. I study history. I study theology. I read books by people who lived 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago. I'm reading a book right now written in the 1400s. I mean, I, I, oh, if anybody believes in self-improvement, I believe in it. But not when it comes to the gospel. Because the gospel is nothing about you trying harder. It's nothing about you covering up your wrinkles. Everything else in life pretty well is about you self-improving. Keep learning. Keep studying. 
It's all about that, actually. Except not when it comes to the gospel. It's about what Jesus has done. It's about that he is better. He delivered us from the oppressions and the, of being constantly worried about whether God is mad at me or God is pleased at me. I just can't figure it out. You get set free. I like what the famous, I will close with this, the famous preacher A.W. Tozer said of another generation. He said, if you can't see the sun, you will be impressed with a street light. If you've never felt thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed with fireworks. And if you turn your back on the greatness and majesty of God, you'll fall in love with a world, or could I say a religion, of shadows and short-lived pleasures. If you never come to him, religion will impress you. Babylon, the harlot of religion, selling and peddling blessings, it will impress you. Just like a streetlight would impress you if you've never seen the sunshine. But once you come to him, once I turn my eyes on Jesus and I see who he is, I'm not so impressed. I'm not so impressed with myself. I'm not so impressed with religion. I'm impressed with him. And today, you can come to him.